137 PM's Live from the Bar Cart. A look into the style, culture, strength, and grind of the modern day man. Welcome back to Live from the Bar Cart, where we talk to successful people from all facets of life and bring you inspiring stories in sports, pop culture, music, style, and business through the lens of entrepreneurship. My name's Brian Anthony Hernandez, and this week I talked to Matt Ermey, a successful author, musician, and founding CEO of music software company Artist Growth. Matt is the antithesis of a starving artist. His company Artist Growth helps musicians, bands, and managers with the business of touring. The company is even in the process of connecting banks with artists to set up funding options for artists that can use their future bookings as collateral. I also talked to Matt about his upcoming album, how he keeps his mind and body healthy on tour, and the best way for emerging artists to establish and connect with their audience. It's all here on Live from the Bar Cart. Matt Ermey, welcome to the 1.37 p.m. Live from the Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Brian Anthony Hernandez. And you're the founder of Artist Growth, which is a digital platform that helps musicians, bands, and managers with the business of touring, right? That's right. Awesome. And you're also a published poet and a singer-songwriter with an album on the way. So we're very excited to chat with you about all those things. So I've been interviewing top 40 artists and emerging musicians for almost a decade now. And what I've learned over time is that these artists don't necessarily make money off their songs and albums. They make more off touring and brand sponsorships, which is why I'm really excited to talk to you about artist growth. So tell everybody what that is. Thank you so much for having me on to, to chat. So artist growth, um, it, it, you, you summarized it correctly. It's a software platform. Um, we started off originally just as an iPhone app and the, uh, our, our initial, you know, my initial vision there was to create an app that um, emerging artists who are still sort of independent and doing most of the things themselves could could have to help them start to implement some of the business best practices that are required to start really developing the business side of your music. Um, it was my experience as a as a touring artist that um, the the business side of things did not come naturally to me. Um, and then as I started working with more professionals, uh, I started to learn about how things were really done. And so the idea was, well, we can make an app that will help people to do this. Um, and we sort of assumed at the beginning that the established side of the music industry, all the big management companies and record labels and, and agencies had probably had their own software that was super sophisticated and they wouldn't need anything like what we were building. It would just be for the artists on the, on the indie side. What we found out is that was an incorrect assumption. And so, um, once we started getting phone calls from professional managers and some and some labels asking us if we would be interested in developing out our app into something more broad that they could use for the larger artists that they worked with. Um, at that point, we hired our own software team. We sort of started over from scratch and we built out a broader platform that's really intended to connect the entire live entertainment uh, ecosystem together on, on, and insert inside of one software system that can um, manage all the information around tours. All right, let's dive into some specifics then. I want to know who are some of those big artists and small artists that you've helped with artist growth? So, uh, you know, we started off with most of our our customers were Nashville-based singer-songwriters because we were headquartered in Nashville and there's a ton of songwriters here. So, you know, young indie acts that were touring, there's, there's one uh, guy named Sam Lewis, who is a friend of mine who jumped on board with the app early on. And he was one of the first indie artists to really implement every aspect of the platform into his process. Um, and, and it was amazing to watch 
how things started to grow for him as he started tracking every penny and, and really being strategic about his routing and, and, and looking at it like a business. Um, other, other Nashville bands like Los Colones were using us. And, um, and then we started, you know, we did a deal with a, a management company here in town that also has offices in New York and LA, um, Vector Management. They, their roster has everybody from, you know, emerging acts like Lily Hyatt up to the Kings of Leon and Emmylou Harris and, um, much larger, much more established acts. So that was really our first foray into the world of the, of the larger scale professional, professional artists tours. And it's just grown from there. And now we have several stadium level tours running on the system. And, um, and we have, we continue to have everything in between from bands just starting out up, up to the big guys. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to, one of the big things we're working on, um, that, people who listen may want to know about is I don't know we just launched this big partnership with a bank and um and basically what that bank has agreed to do with us is is advance money to artists without checking their credit score or looking at their tax returns um so because oftentimes artists have a really hard time getting access to growth capital for their business whether they whether they invested in a new album and better studios or bigger productions for their shows or or going to do a, a, a European leg of their tour and they can get money for their labels, which can be, um, you know, they can lose some of their rights when they do that. They can get, it's, it's really hard to get money from a bank if you're an artist and you don't have great credit. So this is, this is based solely on if they're out there on tour and they're willing to work hard and go on the road and tour and their agent keeps them busy, the bank is willing to advance money against future guarantees that they haven't earned yet. Um, and then let them pay them back over time at a super low interest rate. So it's, one of the big things we're focused on is if we can get artists the ability to finance their business in a healthy way for them, then hopefully they won't be forced into deals that maybe don't have their best interests at heart. Um, and they'll have more control for longer, uh, about where their career goes and the directions they take. And then hopefully when they eventually go to negotiate a deal with say a label or, um, a promoter or somebody, they've, they've been able to build it on their own to a degree that they have some leverage and they have a bit of a platform by which to negotiate from. So we're really focused on that, helping artists figure out the, the financial puzzle, um, especially at those earlier stages of their career. Um, and that's a service that's already available or are you closing a deal at the bank to, to make that happen? It's closed. We just announced it, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so we've already started processing some deals for some, for some folks. And we we have partnerships with, you know, the major booking agencies, um, and people just call us up or, or come to us straight through our product and say, you know, Hey, I need an advance of, you know, 10 grand or 50 grand or whatever. And it's just a matter of the data that they have in our system gets sent to the bank and the bank processes it, um, super fast. And, and over time, uh, it'll be fully automated. Um, so we'll build a banking aspect straight into the platform where you could literally log in one day and see, Hey, in the next 18 months, you have, 50 shows for a total of a million dollars, you have 250,000 or $300,000 available to you if and when you need it. And then they just click in how much they want, press a button and the money wires to their account. So a whole, a whole new sort of paradigm around how to get capital that you can use to invest in yourself as you grow. And is this a service where um, you have to be an existing member? Can people sign up now and apply immediately for, yes. for help? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, the, the, we're starting now just to help us get our feet wet and start processing this is you have to have a booking agent in order to participate in this first round. Um, 
while we figure out all the kinks and make sure we can create a frictionless uh, experience before it gets fully automated. And then, and then next year we're going to start opening up programs to, to uh, the side of the, of the community that doesn't yet have an agent or a manager or a label deal and, and is really doing everything on their own. But that's a slightly different um, evaluation process. Cause when you, when you have an agent, you know, they send a contract to the promoter, the promoter signs it. There's a piece of paper there that says like, if you show up and play this show, I will pay you $10,000. And so that gives the bank a lot of, uh, uh, it takes a lot of risk off the table. And then like, these are all guaranteed payments. Um, when you're, when you're booking your own shows and you're playing bars, you don't always have that. So we're, we're working on, um, other types of, of programs that we can create for emerging talent to, to still access the same level of capital, but just through a slightly different evaluative process, but still not binding it to, Hey, your credit score sucks because you had a bad couple of years there. So now you can't get any money. That's the one thing that we're staying really true to is we know that it's very difficult to access money in today's environment, especially if you're an artist and you have some bad history, which a lot of us do. Um, you know, so we're definitely focused also on that side of the community and making sure that we're going to have uh, opportunities for them to participate. That's a brilliant service. All right, Matt, we talked earlier about how artists make the majority of their money off touring and brand sponsorships and not necessarily off the sale of their music. Um, what advice do you have for artists who aren't as big as some of the, you know, mainstream artists like Beyonce or Taylor Swift for them to market their music in this digital era? Yeah, it's, that is the question. I mean, that's, that's, that's the huge thing. And I think that in my experience, the number one thing an artist has to be focused on after their music and their craft and, and making great content, you know, and everybody will say that you know, the music has to be great first. And that's true. You, ha you have, that's your, that's your thing, right? That's why you're doing it in the first place is making your art. But beyond that, it's all about connecting with the audience. And, and I think that, um, touring and playing live is one of the most powerful ways to do that if and it's a big if in your heart you love standing up in front of people and performing um i don't think there's anything worse than telling an artist who doesn't want to do that that the only way they can be an artist is if they go out and tour um, and that's what i love about some of the things that are happening on youtube now is that people are able to build an audience without ever leaving their bedroom um if, if they, if, if they can find a niche there in terms of how they set up their YouTube channel and how they convey themselves through that medium. Um, that being said, if you, if you do like to get up on stage and perform, then touring is a super powerful thing. And that's definitely where you can start making money right out of the gate. And then it's all about being smart with your expenses. Um, and so oftentimes that's, a, you got to have a plan with starting local going you know a bit a wider circle out of local so you don't extend yourself too far uh and end up spending way 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 more money than you make and always being under uh underwater like you get it you get an opportunity to play a cool stage in new york city and if you're from atlanta maybe you should say no to that gig right now because you're gonna have to fly to new york get a hotel eat you're gonna spend a couple thousand dollars to do that show and you may only walk away with six or seven hundred on a good night and and there are times where i would say it's worth it to do that but on the whole i think it's it's better to be really strategic about you know finding your your audience close to home understand what it is they like about you talk to them um 
and then go find people like them in, in nearby towns and, and start building that out. And then you can use the social grid and Facebook and um, it's powerful what you can do with 50 bucks and Facebook ads. Um, if you know where you're aiming them in terms of just getting people to pay attention for a couple seconds and listen to a, a, a bit of a track. Um, and so it's really like coming up with a smart plan about how to leverage that stuff to start building your audience. And then once you start figuring out your niche there, I would say the next most important thing is finding others who are artists working that same niche and forging relationships and saying, Hey, you're in this, I'm in this. How can we, how can we get something going together to, to multiply and compound our audience? And, um, and that, that's usually where you can like get that first spark where, where it turns into a flame because then you, you have three or four acts you're working with in local towns nearby. And all of a sudden your shows can go from 50 people to 400 people to 500 people. Um, and then this is where artist growth comes in is you gotta be running it like a business and you gotta capture those emails and not lose the piece of paper that you had them written down on. You can't, you know, drink all of your profits away that night at the bar, which I, I used to do. Um, you, you know, so you got to start implementing some of those best practices. And, and I think when you do that, and I've seen, like I mentioned Sam Lewis earlier, like that guy got it and he implemented it and he did it. And in a, in a span of a couple of years, he went from doing everything on his own, um, to having an agent and having a manager and having a relationship and a distribution deal, um, with, with a record company. Um, and it was because he very much got professional about implementing some of these best practices and got very strategic in his thinking and then just put his shoulder and put his back into it. And it's amazing what you can accomplish when you just go for broke. Um, and that inspires people when you really go for it. And, um, and he had the, the ability to do that in his life and, and it's paying off for him and it's still a grind. He's still growing. Um, but it's amazing to see how, how it worked. You know, it can work. Um, yeah, that's some great tried and true advice for our audience who are all hustling just like you. Uh, I wanted to get your take on, um, the, the pay what you can model for music. Uh, like Radiohead back in the day pioneered that with their album in rainbows. But um, there's like services like Patreon where artists can upload their music or YouTube videos and just say, hey, if you like what I'm doing, then um, pay me what you want. It could be as big or as little as you can do. Uh, what's your take on those services? Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I think, again, it goes back to wh what kind of artist are you and how do you how are you most comfortable and going to connect with a fan base most naturally? some people doing pre-recorded videos that they're able to do several takes on and edit together um, and sort of build this little mini series of four or five minute videos that they can roll out on, an, on a platform like Patreon. They're able to communicate who they are more effectively that way than doing it in a live environment where if they fuck up, uh, it's, it happens live in front of an audience. Um, and, and, you know, cause performing is its whole, is a whole craft in and of itself. And if you're going to go the route of like, we're live, we're on stage, we're all here together and I'm going to give you an experience. You got to work really hard to get good at that. Um, so I would say, you know, and for some artists, that's just not who they are. Um, they, they like working in the studio, but you can still reach a huge global audience from, from your studio. And, um, and so I think Patreon, YouTube, 
services like that are invaluable for people who um, that process of building content comes really natural, you know, using video, using audio, and then editing it together and creating an experience for somebody. And it takes a lot of creativity um, and a lot of hours in front of the computer building that library, but it's, it's super powerful. And, and then there's some people who have the time to do both, you know, and that's like, that can be amazing. If, if you can build all that digital content and also go hit the road and, and learn your craft of connecting with an audience and making them feel something when they come to see you perform, then, then that's a magic combination. And I would tell any artist that was doing that well, like nothing can stop you except, except, except you just decide to stop. Cause, um, if you have the ability to stand on a stage, look an audience in the eye and make them feel something in their heart and in their body, um, then you will find an audience. Um, if, if you c continue to do it, um, sometimes it just takes years, you know, and you've got to be insane enough to persist. Uh, yeah. People look at these that, artists that are successful now and they think they're overnight stories, but it's been years of grinding. Oh yeah. And years of failing, years of failing. I mean, I have people now telling me that about artist growth. They're like, dude, you guys just came out of nowhere. And like, this app is amazing. And it's like, yeah. And it's the fifth version of it. <laughs> and I've been doing this for six years and it's like, failure after failure after failure people telling you no 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 and then eventually they start telling you yes and it's like oh it was just all about persistence um and not walking away from the project what was one of those major yeses for you after all those no's and some of those failures oh man well uh you know so on the on the just company building side entrepreneur side um my my initial angel investors um Every single one of them told me no at least one time, some of them two or three times before they ended up writing me a check. Um, and it was me revising what they said what the, was the problems, doing, going back, redrafting, and then coming and knocking on their door again and saying, hey, I got something, I got something that looks better. You want to take another look? And they'd look at it again and be like, nah, yeah, it's better, but no. And then eventually it'd be like, interesting. Now I'm, now I'm interested. Tell me more. And then, then they would then they would buy into it. And the same thing on the product side, you know, I, I've been trying to get a deal done with uh, this one major company for years. And it was always, I would go in and all the executives would say, you know, like, we like you kid, like your vision is awesome, but your product's not there yet. You know, our people tried to use it and they all came back and said, no, they can't use this right now. And then another year would go by and I'd go back and it'd be like, it's closer, but still no, we can't use it. And then just last year, uh, we, we did another little pilot test and they, the team that was testing it came back and said, we have to have this. And so those same executives said, all right, let's do a deal. And it was incredibly rewarding to experience that because it, if I had just decided they've told me no three times, I'm barking up the wrong tree. Uh, I'm going to go somewhere else or I'm going to pivot my business model and try to go do something else then that that fourth attempt and that yes would never have come but it was really just this dedication to no i know what i'm doing is needed they know they need it the problem is we just haven't worked out some of the kinks yet and we haven't we haven't gotten it exactly right but we can and so we refine we refine we refine and go back and go back and then that fourth time it was like yep nailed it we're in and ever since then, you know, then, then you feel the wind at your back. And so you, you, you go with a little more confidence into your next meeting. And then, you know, 
with somebody who's never seen it before and they're seeing it for the first time and they're like, whoa, man, you guys nailed this. Like, wow, you just came, you know, it's like overnight, bam, you came out of nowhere. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah, that, but That success snowballed because of your persistence and your your openness to change, which is really exciting to hear. Yeah, and I've had people tell me, people now who are, some people who are clients of ours several years ago tell me, you're wasting your time. What you're trying to do is not possible. You will never get everybody to buy into this at this organization. Go do something else. And now they're my customers and they love what we do and they use it every day. And that to me is is the absolute, you know, perfect example of if you really believe in something and you feel and you know in your bones that you're you're on the right path um, even if you haven't figured out how to crack the code if you keep working at it you will and, and you're humble enough to take people's feedback and know where you're screwing up um, you will be able to crack it eventually if you don't give up and that's such a cliche to say even as those words escape my lips it's like wow you just like that's the cliche that everybody says like just don't give up but it's true that persistence is such a huge piece of it um if not 90 percent of it yeah you know that's a beautiful story thanks thanks for sharing it you were just here in new york city um and i noticed that you post while you were here you posted an instagram photo that said birthplace uh, of a door in west village what were you doing in New York and what did that represent? I assume it's maybe part of your origin story and we're big on origin stories here at 1.37 p.m. Yeah, absolutely. So I was up in New York for a few days um, meeting with some of our current clients, meeting with some of the groups that are sort of in a pilot phase with our software, um, just at the beginning phases of implementing it in their company and meeting with some folks that we don't yet work with that, that I'm hoping we can you know create a relationship with. Um, and that evening, uh, I was staying down on that side of town and um, I couldn't sleep because I've got a newborn at home and I'm, I'm on this schedule now where I wake up every two hours, uh, to, to feed him. So, um, I was sort of tossing and turning in my bed. So I took a walk cause I realized I was only a few blocks away from, from Charles street. And, uh, and that is the brownstone that my parents used to own. Um, and so they lived there, uh, when my older sister and myself were born. Um, and so that was my first home. And so whenever I can, when I'm in New York, I like to stroll past it and kind of take a look at it and, and sort of reconnect with that vibe that in the street that my parents were, were living on when I was born. You know, I just love to walk around every time I come to New York. I just, I, one of my favorite things to do in Manhattan is just to start walking with some headphones on and, and, uh, and just sort of explore and see where you end up. Sometimes I end up down on Canal Street. Sometimes I end up, you know, up on the Upper West Side going through Midtown. And, you know, it just, it, it's just such a great place to get lost. And when coming from Nashville, where I live, which is a town that is not designed for walking, uh, you have to have a car. You have to be driving everywhere you go. So being in New York, it's like being in Europe almost. I can just hit the sidewalks and, and go for hours. Definitely. And you said you have your headphones on when you're doing those walks. What are you listening to right now? You know, I'm listening to all kinds of stuff. Uh, Hip-hop, pop music. Um, I've started listening to a lot more EDM. So I've been um, I've been really listening to Dead Mouse and uh, just some of the playlists that Apple Music and Spotify are 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 managing and sort of the EDM and just electronic genres. I've, uh, I'm working on a new album now and I'm have this crazy idea of incorporating like traditional country and Americana, uh, traditional sort of songwriting structures and, uh, and music production and sort of marrying that to, 
the electronic side of, of music that's emerged with, with some of the toys that I've bought over the last couple of years. So it's a really interesting project, sort of like a, a country tronica thing that I'm experimenting with. Oh, wow. That's major. I, I feel like, you know, I think Steven Tyler said this, that country is the new rock and roll with how much all the artists are experimenting right now, especially, like you said, with EDM. Uh, we were just talking about your origin story. We also wanted to see what your first job was. It doesn't even have to be in music, but it's always fun to hear where people started. Yeah. So my first job, and I've had many uh, strange jobs in my time. Uh, my first one was like super boring first job. It was like as a busboy at a macaroni grill in in this you know neighborhood off of south of nashville called cool springs which is like the most corporate park mall auto dealership neighborhood block you can find in nashville and you know i was just a kid that went in there and cleaned up the tables after everybody but that prepared you for the rest what, what did you learn from that job uh I, I guess the biggest takeaway from that job is uh that people will treat you like crap if you let them um and not even so much from the patrons of the restaurant, but the managers of the restaurant and the wait staff. You know, restaurant business is tough and it's fast paced. And, um, you know, at corporate restaurants like that, I've found, because I've worked in restaurants and bars for a long time, but uh, at corporate environments like that, there tends to be less teamwork and things can get pretty, you know, brutal between the staff as, as tensions ratchet up on busy nights. And so I just learned like not to take crap from people and, and always to treat people well and expect them to treat me well. I guess I, that's a takeaway. That's a great life lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's serving well. That's definitely one I apply still to this day. All right. We talked a little bit about your album not too long ago. Uh, let's go into a little bit more specifics. Uh, what's the latest song that you've worked on for it? And lyrically, what was the inspiration behind it? Um, man, well, I'm, I'm, it, I'm working on, you know, the fun thing about this album is I'm doing the whole thing in my home studio. So, you know, it's all being recorded, at least up to this point, like in the box, as they say. So I'm using all my own, you know, virtual instruments, all my synths. Um, I'm recording my own guitars here at home. Um, if I decide to use real drums, I'll probably have to take it to a studio. So, but because I'm doing it all at home, I'm able to like work on everything all at once and I'm jumping from like, I'll work on an intro for one song for a couple hours and then I'll close that project and I'll open up another song and I'll work on, you know, what I'm going to do on the chorus of that song. And so it's, it's, it's been this process of jumping and context switching on the songs, which has been trippy and cool. Um, but one of the songs is, uh, is a song called She Said I'm a Hotel and it's, uh, it's sort of this dark, uh, you know, Tom Waitsian universe type type vibe, and and so really, I've just been exploring song, you know, sounds for for these songs and trying to figure out what's the what's the palette I'm trying to create to to say the lyrics over. I'm, I'm a big time lyrical songwriter. I'm much more focused on the lyrics even than I am about you know vocal performances. I'm not the most amazing singer in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but I do love to write lyrics. And, and this one in particular is almost a spoken word piece. Um, and it's really, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's about um, relationships and how sometimes we're so close to people in our relationships that we lose perspective on the big picture of, of what the relationship, what's, what's great and what's challenging about the relationship and, and what is so complimentary about someone in our life because we get so focused in on minutia. Um, you know, and it's told through this story of this this uh, guy and this girl, um, where one of them is comparing the other one to uh, 
being like a hotel. All right. I'm excited to hear that. Uh, that's coming out in <laughs> October. Is that still the case? Yeah. Yeah. I'm working. I'm, you know, sometimes I, I put that out there because uh, sometimes if, if you just arbitrarily throw a stake in the ground and give yourself a deadline, uh, it sort of focuses you and makes you work to hit that deadline. Yeah. So I figured if I publicly committed to something, it would it would sort of inspire me to to get it done. So <laughs> All right. so I'm aiming for that. All right, this song that you just talked about reminded me because there's you said that male perspective and the female perspective of your one of your previous songs called Renaissance Rodeo. Um, is that one that you would recommend people who haven't heard your music to listen to first, or what are some songs that kind of that are the Matt Ermey songs that you want people to hear at first listen? Yeah, I think Renaissance Rodeo is a good one. It's, um, I know I wrote that song uh, during the 2008 financial crisis. Um, that's really what inspired uh, the content of that, of that song. And it was really just about not taking it too seriously, but also recognizing the gravity of life. And um, it's also a really wordy song. It's probably one of the wordier songs I've written. Um, but I feel real proud of the way it's crafted together. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that, that off that record, that would be a, a, a good one to start with. And that record was interesting because I was working with a producer who is a legendary country producer. And we were on a bill together at a show in Nashville, and he asked me if I wanted to do the record. And uh, his, his sort of stipulation was, if you're going to come in my studio and I'm going to produce this record for you, you have to use that house band that you were playing with the other night which was a real traditional country band. Um, and, and we're going to make a really old school, traditional live country record. So we did everything live, um, in his, in his home studio and which was thrilling to me to work with him. But it, it, I think if left to my own devices, my natural tendency wouldn't, wouldn't be to, to go that hardcore traditional country. Um, so certainly the record I'm going to put out later this year will not be anything like that. Um, but it was, so I would tell people, it's, you know, that's certainly not the, the, what to expect from me moving forward, but it was thrilling to make a, a, a sort of throwback country vibed record with a legend like Cowboy Jack. Awesome. I was about to say, give him a shout out. Uh, you mentioned some of the greats earlier and we have this really cool series on our Instagram um, called My Female Role Model. So I wanted to see who are some of the, female musicians that have inspired you or female entrepreneurs that have um, kind of paved the way for just entrepreneurs in general? Oh man, that's a huge question. Um, so female, female artists, um, when you go, when you go back, I mean, I remember some of the first female artists that I was exposed to were, um, Loretta Lynn, uh, Emmylou Harris, um, Dolly Parton, um, Joni Mitchell, and they they were instrumental in understanding the culture of country music in the South. It, it, what they were doing at the time they were doing it, um, and the songs they were writing, and how radical and revolutionary it was was deeply deeply inspiring. And then to see how certain elements of the the male counterpart side of country music came around that and supported that it was just that that to me is a really special. Uh, part of our heritage as an artistic culture here in the states, um, it was really awesome. And um, you know, and then uh, Georgia O'Keeffe is a huge inspiration of mine. Um, she's not a musician, but just the lifestyle that she chose. You know, I learned a lot about her the first time I went to her museum in Santa Fe, and 
the life that she lived and where she sort of ended up and the choices that she made to go to the desert and paint there um, is super inspiring. Frida Kahlo is another artist, painter artist that just is a massive sort of North Star for me um, that I think is truly amazing. On the business side, you know, it's crazy. I, I, there's so many I, I can barely even mention. I was at the Billboard conference last November and I heard Lou, who is the owner of a business management firm called TriStar. Um, it's based in Nashville and LA. I heard her speak on a panel um, and it just completely, she floored me, um, not only with her sense of empowerment um, in a male dominated industry and what she had been able to build and who her clients were and just her, her whole sort of countenance um, an outlook on the job that she does for her clients and the health and, and what, what's good about, uh, supporting artists. It was just, it was a brilliantly articulated conversation. Um, and she's built something incredible, you know, that she owns and she, uh, she, she hasn't let the, the sort of pressures that can, that can push back when a, when a, especially in entertainment, when a empowered woman steps up to the plate to do her thing you know sometimes people fall prey to like getting getting pushed down a little bit and she seemed like someone that had never let that happen to her and that was super mind-blowing um there's young female entrepreneurs here in nashville there's a um there's a company called uh evermore which is two young just freshly out of college a couple years ago female entrepreneurs who are working on a booking platform for colleges uh entertainment groups to use to book bands around the country they're crazy smart. Um, they're doing amazing stuff. It's super inspiring to watch them. Um, I'm definitely going to check that out. They're, I mean, every college books artists for, for um, entertainment, so that's definitely useful. Yeah, I met with them right when they were first sort of launching their company, and I had I was a, a few years into artist growth, so we were just talking about like pitfalls and stuff, and they they were just crazy impressive. Um, way, way, way ahead of where I was mentally, uh, when I was 22 or 23 or four, however old they are. Um, you know, my head was in the clouds. I was acting like a complete moron fool, like a gypsy running around the, the country and the planet. When I was that age, uh, I didn't understand anything about business. So, th so that's crazy inspiring. And I, you know, I just think females and women in general, I have three sisters and a really, uh, empowering mother, empowered mother. So I, I was the only boy in a family full of women and, uh, so I just, I got lucky that I grew up learning a lot about the feminine perspective and, um, the longer I live in the world, the more I feel like, um, you know, the balance between the masculine and the feminine in our societal consciousness is, is getting, is getting more of an equilibrium back and it's only going to be good for the planet and all industries because women have such amazing intuition and such a, a strength that oftentimes men do not. Um, display, even though they may have it, uh, it seems like the American male in so many ways is in arrested development. Um, you know that in a way that that women haven't uh, been stunted, and so there's this there's this incredible wisdom and and intelligence and and strength that exudes from women. There's a woman here named Van Tucker who runs the um, Nashville Fashion Alliance, uh, who was a founder of a entertainment bank or a co-founder years ago, and just learning from her about the, you know, survival skills of being an entrepreneur in business. Her name's Van Tucker. She's, she's astounding. And I consider her a mentor. Um, you know, and oftentimes what I hear from her is way smarter and more intelligent, um, than what I hear from some of the, the male entrepreneurs who are mostly ego and, 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 uh, you know, they, they do a lot of bloviating and, and talking about how great they are and all the things they do. But, um, 
I don't know. Women just sort of cut right to the heart of the matter usually without a whole lot of bullshit. And I really, really appreciate that. I love that. Thank you for sharing those names and those experiences. We're going to go through a quick rapid fire round of questions. Um, Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Fun. All right. So who is the person you text the most? My partner, Jamie. So we've got a 12-year-old and now an eight-week-old and we're we're constantly communicating via text because we both work and having to coordinate who's doing what when. All right. And what app can't you live without? Ah, um, man, what app can I not live without? Other than like the text app, um, I would say... Other than your own. <laughs> the uh, voice memo recording app on my iPhone. That makes sense. Make sure you get those lyrics down somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'd be lost without it. All right. And what are three life rules you live by that maybe a parent or someone else has taught you? Um, integrity is everything. Don't lie. Don't take advantage of people. Your integrity is who you are. Um, uh, you have to be healthy. Um, you have to be, learn to listen to your body and, and have a, relation, a relationship with your physical body um, to stay healthy. Uh, and then I guess third... Um, you know, serving other people and, and understanding how, how powerful it is to have a willingness um, and to keep it in your consciousness to always help other people and be willing to help other people when they're in need is um, super important. Awesome. And you mentioned uh, what's next for you already, but I want to know who's next either in the music industry as far as singer-songwriters or uh, as far as people in behind the scenes more on the business side who's next is in terms of like uh who's like who's who's impressing you um hmm i'm i'm super impressed by uh lily hyatt and what she's doing um young rocker here in nashville um we know her father's one of my favorite songwriters but but what she's doing is super cool and unique and true to herself and that's got to be hard having a father um like she has who's super world famous for being one of the great songwriters um she's doing something super unique and awesome i i hope that her career goes beautifully um man who else i mentioned those girls evan moore um i'm, I'm a huge fan of uh benji rogers who's over in brooklyn is a friend of mine who's working on a really huge project right now it's a music blockchain project um, and they're trying to make some fundamental shifts in how music is is tracked and the use of the music and the rights that the music are tracked and communicated throughout the industry to bring a whole new level of efficiency and transparency around artist rights. Um, it's an enormously ambitious project and he's assembled a really cool team around him to, uh, to help him pull it off. So check that out They're They're based in Dumbo. I think it's, um, uh, music.blockchain. Um, I, I, Benji's going to be in, you know, somebody that impacts the music industry forever, I think, as long as he wants to. Um, God, there's so many, too many to name. All right. Yeah, that's definitely an important aspect in music that's kind of been lost over the decades with everything being digitized. It's just like in the past, artists, um, when they were recording a song, everyone in the room would be like listed uh, on pieces of paper of like, hey, this person set up the mics, this person wrote, this person produced, this person did the drums, and now some of that is getting lost with things getting passed over digital now. So. Oh, no doubt, and it's a mess. 
It's a mess. All right, Matt, we know you're busy, so thanks for taking the time out to chat with 1.37 p.m. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me on to, to chat. I had a great time talking to Matt Ermey. He's a perfect example of an artist filling a niche and using his strengths to find success. Make sure to look out for his new album in October. And if you're a musician looking to organize your life on tour, download the Artist Growth app and treat your music as a business as it should be. I'm Brian Anthony Hernandez, and I'll catch you next time live from the bar cart. This is 1.37 p.m. If you want to own the future, start this minute. Live from the bar cart is a Gallery Media production.